everybody. I'm sure you've been welcomed many, many times, but welcome to the Sloan Sports Analytic Conference 2023. My name is Diego Carrasquillo. I'm a first-year MBA student at Sloan, and it is my pleasure to present this all-star panel here, um, the future of fan innovation, data, and always-on engagement, presented by Ticketmaster. So our panelists today are Mary Donahue, Vice President of Amazon Global Sports Video, Renee Anderson, Chief Revenue Officer and Executive Vice President of NFL Partnerships. Valerie, oh sorry, Valerie Camillo, President and CEO, Spectacor, Spectacor Sports and Entertainment. And then Jessica Gelman, CEO of Crass Analytics Group. Our panel will be moderated by the awesome Shelly Pissarra, Executive Vice President, there we go, Global Insights and Strategy at Wasserman. The panel will run for about 45 minutes and then we'll leave 10 minutes for questions. Please submit questions on Twitter using the hashtag Fan Innovation and then we'll be feeding those to Shelly. So, Shelly, take it away. All right, thank you. Here, let's hear it for Diego. How's everybody doing this afternoon? Good? Yeah, good. Um, we agree with Diego. We think this is the best panel of the day as well. Um, how can you deny that with this rock star group we have up here? So our topic today is fan innovation, um, and we're going to come at it from all sorts of different angles, different channels, um, the behaviors that we've seen accelerate over the last couple of years, um, what's, what's staying, what's going, what's a fad, what are we going to capitalize on, and frankly, how do we just keep putting the best dang product on the court, on the pitch, on the screen that we possibly can. So let's get started, because I think everyone wants to hear from us. So we're going to start with... What are the shifts we're seeing in the expectations around a fan experience, no matter the sport, kind of no matter the location? And we're going to start with kind of the queen of the fan <laughs> ecosystem, Ms. Galman. Um, we would love to hear from you what you're seeing in the shifts of the expectations. Well, one of the great parts about the work that we do at Kager is that we get to see across all of the leagues and industry players how, how fans are engaging differently. And the shift post-pandemic has been pretty significant. You know, we, uh, we did some work with a client earlier this year, and we learned that 60% of uh, sports fans have uh, multiple teams within the same league that they consider to be their favorite. I think about, you know, when I was young growing up, like the teams I was a fan of were the teams that my parents were a fan of or the city that I lived in. And we're seeing today, often, that in the same household, the, the children and the uh, parents have, have different teams that they're rooting for. Earlier today, um, I moderated the panel discussion on player power, and I thought the comment that um, Tamika said about how many fans or people, followers, LeBron has versus the Lakers, and it's 7X, rang so true. We're seeing like the demise of RSNs. And so in short, fans have more access <laughs> to data on a much wider uh, level. They can engage in it in many different ways. We're seeing incredible things that are happening. And uh, fans also have more power and agency and they're engaging differently and following teams differently. And it's, it's powerful. And the results of all of this is we're seeing higher attendance higher ticket prices, in part because fans are traveling out of their markets to see the teams and the players that they want to see. That is a massive, massive shift that is being driven off of all of the work that we're all doing mm -hmm. to engage the fans better and differently. Mm -hmm. How are you tracking and trying to understand these changes? What are you guys doing to better listen to, to what these expectations are? Rainy, I'll kick this to you. <laughs> to me. To you. Paying attention. You know what's <laughs> interesting as we think about it, and I was, as, as Jessica was saying, rather than some of the tracking is you see, but you try to test and learn. And so we've spent a lot of time with some of our partners, Amazon is one of them, on the alternate broadcast, providing you know, shoulder programming to really, mm -hmm. that supports that traditional linear broadcast. You know, the Mannings really started that with the Manning cast. Uh, Amazon was doing it for a few years before, although it was just audio. Continue. Yes. <laughs> and Amazon, the barbershop with LeBron and, and Matt Carter, which they've done some great things. Our Nickelodeon broadcast uh, for kids to really bring it to life. We have a, um, and also a broadcast for specifically for sports betters. I mean, we have 187 million fans, and so we need to make sure that we're feeding the appetite for that fan um, differently. 
mm -hmm. not all the same, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's been really interesting as we, as we have done some testing and learning and to see um, where we can continue to grow those areas. And, and, and look, some things do really well, other things don't. I think what we learned during the fan behavior shift from COVID is just fans, everything was really accelerated. Fans wanted yeah. more collectibles, you know, trading cards right now, you know, and, and NFT business, which has been volatile and we've all seen that, really increased so much. And so for us, we've tried to test and learn. Um, and now it's a little, almost say too soon on how we're tracking and how that's going because there's still a lot of testing that's happening. Yeah. Would you agree that COVID gave us almost more of a safety net to do more testing and learning? I don't know. It, was like, it, it pushed us off forward just pushed us quick. And it's like you either, well, you either are going to jump in or you're going to be left behind. Right. And so I think it's an opportunity. We talked about doing things prior to COVID that we're going to be a little slower. We're always slow at the NFL. We take our time. We don't need to be the first because when we do something, we got to get it right. And I think what happened is we moved forward really quickly on a lot of things. Sports betting is a great example of that, of really thinking about not obviously just the the integrity of the game, responsibility, which are important, but the engagement for those consumers and how that's going to circle back to the engagement of when they're watching. Are they buying tickets? Mm -hmm. Are they buying merch? Are they are they betting just on their team or other teams? And so that that part of it's been really interesting and probably did move faster than we would have done. From the so I run arena, so from the live venue experience, and I'm and I'm and I'm sick of talking about the pandemic, so I'll lead by talking about the pandemic, right? <laughs> Um, for, you know, we had assumptions um, when, we were during, when we were during our shutdown phase that, you know, what's going to happen afterwards? And it, everyone, myself included, there's probably quotes from me in media, we're like, it's going to be the roaring 20s. <laughs> it's going to be party and crazy and people are going to come flooding back. And in fact, if you look across society, what's really happened is people have become more homebodies. They've got their home delivery, they've got their streaming. Um, you know, you can't find a restaurant open after eight o'clock at night in many cities, the malls are shut early. Like we've become lame as a society in many ways. So I, so I, and it, like, like I've Instacart, heard, I love Instacart. I wish I had invented it. I love it. I don't have to ever go to a grocery store again in my life. It'll be it's okay. Like, love it. So, you know, so, for, so for, for us, like we are, we have to think really carefully about how do we excite people to get them yeah. to come out to live, to live events. And it's returning for sure, but we are being much more, um, aggressive around our, our data capture and analysis around guest experience. And so we're doing NPS research in a way that we never did before. We're doing uh, multi-factor guest satisfaction surveys. We're doing focus groups almost every game. And we are, are, are taking that data to inform practically what we do to improve the guest experience. Mm -hmm. And because otherwise, like, who cares? You do all these surveys and you don't change anything. You know, we learned a lot about our, our ingress and egress experience. We implemented Evolve technology to speed fans through the gates. We um, changed the way our, our parking flows and how many, how many uh, parking takers do we have. All of this stuff, and I think you have to have a really seamless experience to, to, for people to pull them out and then say, hey, that was great, and I'll come back. Yeah, absolutely. Are you seeing, given the behavior we just talked about, where maybe folks are traveling further, they like multiple teams, are you seeing more first-timers in your building? than you did before, even if we're becoming lame as a society and it's a lot to get them there, but are you seeing more first timers? So in Philadelphia, what you described does not happen as much where the, the kid and like everybody, like Philly is like Philly for life. Philly. Like you, you're, you're teams and you're not really diverging that much. Now, maybe kids are in, in, in different ways, but like Philly is a very, very specific sort of place. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, for, for us, when, when we are looking at, um, what we're doing, like we we just did a massive transformation of our mm -hmm. of our arena, uh, putting second biggest, right? Yeah, it, through over three hundred fifty million dollars, and as we've thought about, you know, we've made that custom customized and personalized to very specific segments, and we use data to do that, and recognizing, you know, hey, how do we evaluate whether or not we were successful in what we did, mm -hmm. and our NPS data shows we're up thirty percent pre and post transformation. Our guest satisfaction scores blended are up 22%. And so that's a way to validate to what you've done yeah. to like yeah. uh, enhance the fan experience. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's amazing. And congratulations on that, by the way, because what, what an amazing thing to have done all that work and, and drive that experience. I just want to point out, though, like what Val is saying that she's doing, she, the, the work that she's doing, she's combining both the qualitative mm -hmm. data 
of what the consumers are saying and the quantitative data that is, is more enriched now with the Evolve and the other different uh, mechanisms that you're using to then make decisions to move things forward. And it has to be both what the consumers are, are saying and what their actions are doing to make those decisions. In, in fact, our process was very driven in what you just said, like a marriage of data and story. So I started um, in 2019 and we were just getting ready to launch the major uh, internal enhancements to the, to the concession, the fan-facing areas of the arena. And um, I saw the architect renderings, and they were beautiful. You could look like a, a, you know, a boutique hotel anywhere in the world, fantastic. But it lacked, um, like, what was the story? What was mm -hmm. the creative narrative behind it? And so we, you know, I pulled together a working group, and I said, what does the data show? We have phenomenal data on our customer segments and, and who, are, who our guests are. And I said, I said okay, and I put, pulled together a working group that looked a little bit like our customer segments, as much as we were able to from, from within our employee base. And I said, if we had to pitch this to our, to our guests, what would that sales pitch or that press release look like? Mm -hmm. And it was hard because there was no, there was no story. It was beautiful. But, and so then I said, let's begin with the end in mind. Like, write the press release, write the marketing materials to describe the spaces that we're building. And in doing that process, the spaces got incredibly creative. And it didn't necessarily change the bones of the architecture at all. It changed the story. And so um, we began at the end, worked our way back, and I think we created something really special. That is art and science really coming together. That's fantastic. I do have to jump in for a sec. So at Amazon, we do these things called PRFAQs with all our major decisions, anything that's going to be customer facing. And it's a, it's a press release for what your product will bring to fans. So it's a way to really start with the fan or the customer yeah. instead of, and it, it's, it's an exercise when you get there, it's kind of a little strange. Why am I writing a press release about a product that I'm going to launch in two or three years? But it really does get you to focus. You, you really realize, oh, this is like a good business, not a great fan experience. Right. So mm -hmm. it's a great way to, to focus on the customer. As you write that, is that giving you then almost your roadmap for the data you need to make the decisions? Yeah, I mean, we're in a slightly different situation than these guys because I love, I love um, the way they're using data and what they've all been doing um, at their companies. We are streaming first property. You know, we're part of a, a prime, member, prime membership. So we had to literally start from scratch. Mm -hmm. How do you stream live sports? So when I started a few years ago, every, no one thought you could actually do it. Yeah, you can do it for a couple hundred thousand. Good luck with a couple of million. So we've really focused on building the infrastructure, um, incredible investments, incredible work. We, we really um, got our sea legs in Europe where we've served you know, millions and millions of fans in the Premier League and then Champions League. And then when we had, um, when the NFL was nice enough to trust us with Thursday Night Football, and Rini's been a great partner, obviously, um, we really had, to, what were we gonna focus on? And yeah. for us, it was assume success. Assume we're going to have 10 million or so fans come. We ha it, it has to work. It has to be easy to find. It has to have low to no latency. And so that was, you really have to get that credibility. And then we said, what do we know, what do we think we know about OTT users? Right. Kind of assumed they'd probably be younger. Um, we'd learn from our TriCast that they stay longer. Um, so we designed an experience, number one, the best broadcast we could possibly do. We have state-of-the-art trucks. We have more cameras than any other NFL games except the Super Bowl. So really invested, and we said, how can we reinvent without distracting fans? So we really focused on the talent and what we were going to put in the main broadcast. So we've got, you know, when you hear Al and Kirk and Kaylee on the main broadcast, you just exhale. That, that's what we needed people to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the pre, post, and halftime, we started from scratch. We put draft picks. We got three guys right out of, um, out of the NFL, had never worked on camera before. And, you know, Carissa Thompson, Taylor Rooks, an incredible group of young, diverse talent. And we're they knocked it out of the park, by the way. Um, and also, we're really excited to see the audience, them grow, and the audience grow along with them. And so we've been really happy how it's gone. But for us, it's like, what do fans want to see? How do we create this huge big tent? We can talk later about different ITs, Rini, because we did do audio. The, the ESPN was the first to do the video all broadcast. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. potato, potato. I know exactly. <laughs> um, but we did do all broadcasts and things like that, which we can get into. But first and foremost, we're we're offering live sports. Don't mess it up. 
It, of course, of course. Were there any big surprises? So as you went through year one, were there any big yeah. surprises? In um, how great our talent was, because when you okay. get three guys right off the field, I mean, we knew they were amazing, and we knew Carissa should get producer credit on the show, and Taylor had never done NFL. She just did, she, but she was so incredible on NBA. So um, I'd like to think we knew it would all play out as excellently as it did. That was a little, that was a happy Mm -hmm. coincidence. I wouldn't mm -hmm. want to say a surprise because we were really careful who we picked. The other thing that's not, it's probably not surprising, but the data all shows it. Um, besides, like I said, the audience is younger. Our NFL fans are seven years younger than the other NFL, uh, than the average NFL fan. Um, they watch longer. Um, also, uh, those who engage, so we have a thing called X-Ray where you can engage with replays and stats and things like that. If people who engage in the broadcast watch longer. So anyone who plays with the stats and replays, they generally watch 30% longer. So none of this is, I wouldn't say it's surprising, but as an OTT broadcaster, we've been able to customize and personalize and offer these options. Even when we did Dude Perfect, and then I'll be quiet. Um, when we yeah, did Dude, Dude Perfect, Perfect yeah, which yeah. was Dude Perfect. I don't know if you guys know the dudes. Mm -hmm. They have a huge um, YouTube channel and huge social media following. And so we're like, how can we, um, one of the reasons we partnered with the NFL, well, we both really want to innovate and focus on younger fans. How could we make that, yeah. that interactive? And it was just a linear feed on Prime Video, but they had interactive challenges and things like that where you could watch families um, watch the game together and engage with the game. So it doesn't have to be high tech, but mm -hmm. if they're engaging, they watch longer. One thing, one, if, for those of you on Twitter, I always tell people, if you want to totally cleanse your Twitter feed, search the dudes and Thursday Night Football, because it's like hundreds of photos of kids and their families watching football. It's, it's really sweet. That's awesome. Serena, so as you think about that, and the two of you obviously are working really closely together, and you see the role that Amazon's playing in seven years younger, you just mentioned, right? So Thursday night, check. So as you're thinking about kind of continuing to grow your fan base, keep that loyalty going, does it allow you to focus then elsewhere? You're like, great, we know what we're doing here. This is working in year one. How can you kind of shift the way you're thinking about fan engagement in the rest of the time that they're engaged with yeah, you? Yeah, our big focus, and we're always really encouraged to not be complacent. And, and that means that even though you know we're killing it in a variety of places with all of our partners on through television and through, through um, our digital partners, um, that we can't take our foot off the gas. And so as we think about internationally, how we can continue to grow. Um, that's a huge priority and a focus for us. And we've been playing internationally for a long time. We've got games in London. Um, we have played in Mexico. We just this year played a game in Germany. And I think through what we have learned from those experiences, we know that that's not going to be enough, just yep. playing games. Like sometimes I'll go, if a, if a European soccer team comes to New York, I'll, we'll take our family, we'll all pick a team, we buy merch. It's like the circus is coming to town, right? And it's, it's a great experience, but I don't follow that team any longer. And what we want to make sure is that we're building from the ground up. And so we've worked with our clubs. Uh, it's called International Home Marketing uh, uh, area where teams are going into markets Really building that fandom from the ground up doesn't mean there's going to be a, a game played there. Right. Never say never, you never know. But to, to start to build uh, from the ground up that engagement and that fandom from teaching the game, kids playing flag, for, and possibly player development. And we have a, you know, a big uh, effort right now going on in Ghana and Nigeria for player development. And there are so many opportunities that the game itself from on the field um, into the home when you're watching it, have the opportunity to expand. And, and international is a place where we're really spending a lot of time. Yeah, that's fantastic. You were saying a bit yesterday in the prep, like how vast is the levels of development of the game itself? I mean, you're mentioning Ghana, and then we're talking about Germany, Mexico. Well, it's so UK. funny. We always, everyone talks about what, you know, what are you doing in Africa? And we're like, guys, that's a continent, not a country. <laughs> um, yeah. And so we're really going in and thinking about where we have deep roots, where our players are, where they've been born, where they're coming from. We also know where there's deep fandom. Germany loves American football. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know we had had a league there years ago. And, and having the, um, the footprint in the, in the game this past season was a huge success. And that appetite that we know is there for football is huge. And so how we can continue that is, is it's really important. But I think the work that the teams are going to be doing in these key markets 
um, is going to be really important and very valuable for the future of global American football or global football is what we would say to really have an impact. And, and, and I think we're really excited about that. It's, yeah. but it's going to take a lot of work. I mean, and, and I think that's from, you know, teaching the game, playing the game. I mean, you know, a lot of times trends will go around the globe a lot of times, even begrudgingly. People might say they, they, they hate Americans, but if they hate us, but then you see our music is there, our food is there, our celebrities are there, the music is there, and our sports are there. And so I think there's some real opportunity to grow there that we, that we maybe our expectations will be um, completely exceeded as our teams start to really dig in. But that's local market, um, in market, like grassroots takes a lot of time. And yeah. it takes a real productive patience. Yeah. And so we're not going to see that overnight. But in 10 years, the way that we look globally, I think we'll look, you know, it will, it should have an impact. Yeah, that's fantastic. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Hope, guys. Exactly. We hope. We hope. So sticking a little bit with the international theme, I'm going to go back to you, Marie, in terms of you guys are building quite a global roster now at this point. Talk a little bit about how you have to approach things differently you know. Yeah, I mean, sports are ultimately local, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we've had some great experiences. We have the U.S. Open in the U.K., and then we were lucky enough to get Roland Garros in France. And if you want to see two different types of coverage, mm -hmm. you know, in the U.K., they want a lot of U.K.-focused announcers, unless it's Martina or McEnroe, someone that breaks through. It's otherwise very similar, more about the local players. It's very similar to how we cover tennis in the U.S. You go to Roland Garros, they talk through every point, they're practically sitting there smoking, having conversations. <laughs> so what we found, what, that's a joke, so. You're not lame in France. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what we found is we really, we hire and we work with local production groups um, to make sure we get that right. So that's why I'm so fascinated what you guys are doing with the home market, because you really do mm -hmm. have to, we, we try to bring we want to be um, younger, um, more diverse, um, bring more, more interactivity, but, but we never want to distract the fan. It's always about optionality and something that's intuitive and, and additive if they want it. Right. Um, so we've, we've had a lot of success in Europe doing that, but ultimately you have to start to understand um, the local fan. And then we've got, we just signed a deal a few months ago for the NBA in Brazil, which is a great opportunity for us because the NBA is still growing in Brazil. So even your business partnerships, as you guys have experienced, are very different um, country to country. We have, we have huge success in Japan with a boxing deal we did that we convinced top rank to give us local boxers, like people who people in boxers and ex-MMA artists, MMA fighters who are becoming boxers, which is one of our biggest boxing matches, um, who's really relevant in Japan. And so working with your partners to really make sure it's relevant and something that excites the local market is something that's really fun and I think necessary table stakes. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Yeah, so I think what, what I'm hearing across all of this is that it's very focused on personalizing the experience for the fan, Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And in order to be able to do that, we have to have a great understanding of who the customer is. We have to know how they want to be engaged from a channel perspective. Mm -hmm. And we need to know what specific product, whatever that is, uh, what type of ticket they want to come, do they want to have a game, what type of broadcast they want to watch. And like the heart of all of this is can we harness the data that's out there in order to give our fans the best experience possible. And I think- And that's the journey that, that we've been on. So, you know, one of the things when I started was we had we had data, we had analytics, but you know it was an on-site server. Um, it was very difficult to pull anything useful out of it, and our anal our analysts were spending their time cleaning to even try to get a data set rather than really analyzing. And if you're an analyst in the room, you know the difference. And how many hours you're spending on the former versus the latter really matters to the outcomes. And you know, let me brag on Jess for a minute here because you know through Kager and the work that we've done with them, we now have a really clean, clear, single view of the customer, about 2.5 million unique customer um, data sets, and we have the ability to, to, to use it in a, in a variety of creative ways and drive sales that we didn't have before. And I'll give you two just you know, specific examples of that. One's kind of funny and, and one's kind of sad. I'll start with the sad one. So we have, we're, we are, you know, Philadelphia Flyers, not a secret. Our team performance has been down um, his, historically, to say the least. And so 
you know, we have a lot of disengaged fans. Mm -hmm. And um, we have people who haven't opened our emails or, or engaged with us in years. And we're trying to find ways to have them turn their head back to us and pay attention to us as we continue to struggle on the ice. And so through some of the data that we have, we've been able to say, okay, we have a, we have a clean look now at people who've really disengaged. And we're going to approach them with a different campaign. Instead of just sending a buy a ticket or this event or that event, we sent them surveys that said, why are you disengaged? We didn't use those words, but that, mm -hmm. that's the theme of it. And, through, and they answered us, right? Because Great. now they're, they're getting something tailored, and a lot of them want to tell it's us. Like if you really want to know? They're really going to tell you. You're yeah. right. But 2,500 fans in this test campaign we did came back and bought again because like, we listened to them and we heard them, and we would not have been able to do that before. And then the last one I'll say is, so we just hired a very senior um, executive into the Comcast family, and they were, they were coming uh, to games quietly and, and sort of watching and looking. Well, our data is so good now, we knew, oh, there's a new person in the building. <laughs> yeah. And we can do it now to approach them, not after the event where we pull the list, we can do it before the event. So I had junior salespeople on my team reaching out and saying, I'd like to meet with you at the seat. And they were like, oh my God, they know, blah, 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 blah. And um, we, we did not know, but we knew that there was a new person in the building. So that's how accurate it is. That was a story I didn't tell you. That no, I, it's amazing. But, yeah. the, but the point here is that like, it's this application that yep. someone like you is able to do is like, I mean, that, that's what's happening. And I mean, Marie, you're doing the same thing, obviously. You're hearing and Yeah, we constantly, I mean, we have to listen to the customer. That's what we do. I mean, we do try, we know a lot about customers. We try to keep it on, you know, from getting creepy. So I'm not saying that was creepy, but. <laughs> he thought it was creepy. He told me, he was like, oh, do I have to like call this person? I'm like, it's good. Yeah, so you, okay. you absolutely have to listen to fans. Um, and, and that's what we do. We just, we're constantly listening. But I will tell you, and I think folks, especially students in the room know this, there's so much data now yeah. that it can be overwhelming. And so the, the way you can actually clean it, and to what you were saying, have people analyze it. We have tons of data. We have data dumps every hour. Mm -hmm. What I want to know is what, is what does that help me going forward? And so that's really the skill set that I think we're really focused on empowering and hiring. In One our thing for us that was fun, you know, when we first started playing games in London, we were really focused on how will fans there in the UK, how will they react to football? Because there are certain standards when you go to a European football game, like it's just different, right? They don't drink there. They don't, they don't, they, when the game, when the match is over, you leave immediately. And so, <laughs> It was, has been interesting as we are in, in London doing games and how we try to educate and we, mm -hmm. you know, we try to evolve. When we went to Germany, it was really interesting because it, it, what, was, what was fun at the end of it, I don't know if you guys read this, but like the fans wouldn't leave. They were all swinging, singing uh, Sweet Caroline. They wouldn't leave. And, and, the, and, and they, were, they were drinking. It was very much like, we don't want this to end. Yeah. And so it's very interesting country to country uh, you know, the adoption, although maybe the data said, like, you know, again, there, there's, there's, you know, soccer's happening and you leave immediately when it's over. Not these guys. They're like, keep playing. We yeah. want more yeah. of this. Yeah. And so it is what you do with that and then how you take, you know, the data of a person who may be an American football fan living in Germany and how you compare that to maybe like a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Maybe that intensity is just as insane. Yeah. But you don't know until you go try, and you, and you have to. There's the trial and error, and so we're really excited on that that international side of it. You can do more testing there. Here domestically, mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard to test because excellent is expected for us all the yeah. time. And that's you know, yeah. Marie even said when they first launched, they had to get the broadcast right. It's simple, but it was so hard, right? Like that first part, like how much and no bells and whistles. We're just doing it. The you know, we're showing you the broadcast, and it was spectacular, especially as you hear Al. You're like. Oh, yeah, Thank I, you. Know, I know this guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks. And so there is a different level of excellence expected and then opportunities where you can go test, learn, and figure out, and then what that does for the consumer, which is, ends up being great for everybody. And I do think with OTT and, and you know, watching through streaming or apps, mm -hmm. living room devices, so much of our use is through living room devices, that's an advantage. We can actually test and learn. We can give you five different streams that you can choose from. Because a lot, a lot of this is you don't want to, I, I definitely think season ticket holders and, and fans like that, surveys make great sense. For us, it's more what can, we, we want to always um, be trying to not necessarily asking them a ton of questions or 
sending them a ton of emails, but how can we actually figure out through AI and all sorts mm -hmm. of things, watching and listening and learning, how, how they want to behave and then try to delight them. So I feel like in broadcast a lot of times it's not necessarily what are they looking for, but it's almost can you use different things to help to inform, make some good guesses, and then really listen and be really, you have to be able to change on a dime. That's why we did so many different alt broadcasts because we didn't know what would work. Um, and it's been great to learn what, what has worked and some has really surprised us. Yeah, how have you used AI? I mean, do you have do you have anything in particular that you want to talk yeah, about? Yeah, I mean, AI? well, for us, AI is th runs through the lifeblood of Amazon. So it's everything we do when we personalize, we optimize, and, and obviously with all the replays and the, the instantaneous stats and everything we're doing, uh, there's a lot of AI and, and machine learning, obviously. Obviously, obviously. I, I, th I, I think first, like, like, we could take a few steps back. Yes, we're going to talk about AI because we're at an analytics conference and we're at the forefront. The example that Val gave, which is, five years ago, four years ago, like not having this clean database. And yeah. You can't do anything with AI if you don't have a clean right. data. And I would say the majority of teams in sports are like not really there yet. Um, it, is a, it is a process, but, um, but I think teams and leagues are real, they're not Amazon, but they're really starting to invest and figure it out. Um, but it's still, it's still super early days. But when I think about what AI could be, yeah. I mean, it's really, really exciting because the challenges that most teams and leagues have is the amount of resources both um, to, for staff and for the technologies that are needed. And um, they, they want to do this personalization that we're talking about, but to do that at scale in the way that, that we want and need, it's, it, we're not there yet. But AI can help solve that, mm -hmm. you know, helping to write personalized emails at scale, helping to do, yeah. I mean, there's lots of apps out there, Copy AI, Maverick, um, that would enable video snippets at scale. And we're, they will be great when we can do that in several years, maybe five, maybe. Yeah. But right now, we just need to get the data into a good place to be able to apply it in the right Use way. It. Yeah. And we, for us, there's sort of that two paths. So the, the consumer path that Jess is talking about, where we spin mm -hmm. about what that is going to look like, the data that we can get, and how we can serve fans better. And then, then there's the football path. Yeah. And we think about, we, we work with Amazon on next generation stats and how we track players, but also that takes another step to um, the you know the health and safety and thinking about the digital athlete. Mm -hmm. how, does that in, how does that help inform the production of equipment? How does that help inform rule changes? How does all of that help inform the future to keep the men and, and women involved in our sport as safe yep. as humanly possible when they're on the field? And that's something that is a huge priority that we work on with um, Amazon in a variety of ways. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, Al, you want to say something? Um, for, for AI, I heard something earlier today on another panel that, that, that struck with me in terms of what we're doing. So we're using AI and machine learning on our clean database Sam Ebb is here who came through this program. He's, our, he's informing our sales campaigns with all of this. But we're also playing around with some other AI-related technologies, including deep fakes and, and some other stuff. And what I heard earlier today that, that has been on my mind is like, for example, we're looking at personalizing mm -hmm. content mm -hmm. to reach bigger audiences. So as a practical example, you know, this year we had um, very focused on our renewals, renewing our season plan holders. And so we had a player record a personalized message. Well, he did 250 for us, 250 times like, wow. Marie, come back, Marini, come back. <laughs> like, that's a lot. Wouldn't it be better to scale that and reach every single person, all 10,000 yeah. know, plus season plan holders with this, with this message? But he can't record 10,000, so we could do it through deep fake. But what I heard earlier today was like, how do you feel as a customer if you find out that you got a deep fake right. personalization? So we have to figure it out. And I think over time, it'll become so you know, entrenched in how things are done, that it'll lose that sort of like, I don't feel good, that mm -hmm. this, is a, this isn't real. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and some part of the message will be real, like the main part yeah. that he read would be real, but it would just be your name may not be. So we're, we're thinking, thinking through all that, but the fact that it's even a possibility is exciting. Very much so. There was actually on another panel today. Wow, what a conference we are at uh, today. And uh, what a day we've had. It was on Partnerships 2.0. We were talking about chat GPT. Mm. And one of the things that that's doing is going out and gathering information that's available, but some of it might not be accurate. 
And so as you're talking about AI and the application of it moving forward, it's very much like what you said earlier too. It's the qual and the quant coming together. It's the AI with the validation, verification, almost the quality control that sits on top of it. Um, it gives us room to test as we're validating too, but I find that fascinating and that will, you know, take time to evolve. I mean, the one of the things for about the conferences is data for good, which is right. the appropriate use. That's and that's right. really what, what we're trying to, to figure out. And so much of it is around the governance, yeah. right? What, what of this data is, should we be using? I mean, Marie, what, what you said about people who are more engaged in your broadcasts are watching longer, not, isn't mm -hmm. shocking, but what is shocking to me is that the people who are watching longer are younger. It's just yeah. so contrary to everything that I've heard. Mm -hmm. And you know, selfishly, I would love to have that information so that I can say to Val, hey, here are the, here are the young people who are really engaged and that are in your, you know, in your ecosystem, go and target them for tickets, they're probably more likely to buy. And that, like, that's the connectivity that I think we all, well, maybe you don't want people to have, but they all. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that's going to make it make it better. And we're I mean, it's happening, obviously, but yeah. but for the teams and the leagues to be able to serve and service the fans, that's that's um, in the experience. That's where I think we'd like to get to. Absolutely. From a targeting standpoint, I think one of the things as we talk about localization, personalization, whatever, there's also we're we're doing a lot of and, 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 and. Are we worried about there being too much choice? Mm. Five different stream options. Are we worried that it's going to become, hold on, I need a minute. I need, I need to retrench on exactly how I want to see this. Yeah, Have we, we reached that yet? Are you worried about it? It's, you know. it's, it's definitely something we're conscious of. It's yeah. one of the reasons why we create this big tent experience. You can come in and just watch the main broadcast and sit back on your couch. and and not engage if you choose not yeah. to. But, and everything is fan initiated, so we don't mm -hmm. force anything on you. You can choose more interaction, you can choose different feeds. Um, but in, in general, it's, it's, it's choice. And yeah. so as long as you have it be fan initiated, it's not that big of a deal. Um, it, it, it's generally not a negative, but, but we, we, you don't want to overwhelm the fan. It, it's very, it, there's a lot of science to how you actually offer choice. Like you can offer way too many choices. So we're very careful about having it be intuitive. They understand what it is. One of the things, it relates to what you guys were talking about earlier as well as the choice. I also, I'm a, ultimately what I love about my job is content, we're storytellers. So all of these things can add so much to the broadcast, whether, and you know, we may be, we have a prime vision, which is one of our alt um, broadcasts, which is a lot of data and analytics. It also, for the nerds out there, it has the alt 22 camera, which people love, because you can actually see the whole field, which is what the broadcasters actually watch in the booth. So we found that if you offer that as an option, it actually, it, it, it's, if you want to sit back on the couch, you don't care whether that pass was difficult or not, that's mm -hmm. fine. But if you actually want to learn a little more about the decision making and, oh, that had a degree of difficulty of, you know, whatever percentage, sure. that, that we actually think you can enhance the broadcast, if it's done right. And you'll start to see us bring more and more of that into the main broadcast, but we're very conscious of not having people do homework not having people nope. distracted. That's our fear. That was my, always my biggest fear, is that we actually distract people with something. We have a, um, we have a, a Black Friday game, first ever for the NFL, um, the day after Thanksgiving. It's the biggest shopping day of the year. It's Amazon's biggest traffic day of the year. So we are going to have a lot of fun with that. We'll do things before, after, and during the game. You'll probably see some shopping opportunities. You may see some <laughs> other things. And that's, you know, my entire team, we're just, pounding the pavement at work, we cannot distract. Our biggest fear is a headline that someone missed a play because we right. were selling something. So it's a lot of fun and it's a great opportunities, but you're absolutely right. You always have to, it's, you go back to the PRFAQ you guys are working on. How is it good for the fan? We know how it's good for the business. Let's first make sure it's good for the fans. Sorry, go ahead. Can I, I just wanna ask one question because I'm, I'm, as you're thinking about oversaturating, so, how are you able to see how many people are watching on two devices? Because like I act like the women's I'm a huge women's basketball fan. I watched and again, I know it was ESPN, but I was watching the game on my big screen and I was watching uh, the Sue uh, Bird and Tarasi broadcast on my phone. Right. Like, are you seeing that at scale? So all of our users, because we're an OTT service, all our users are in a logged in state. Mm -hmm. 
So if they were watching, if they, if they were doing it on Fire and you know, if they were doing it on Prime Video in both places, yes. Yeah. I mean, if they were doing it on another site, no. You wouldn't see it. But that. yeah, that's OTT. Generally, people are and are logged in state, so you can. You could, they could watch on both, right? Yeah, absolutely, and we would know it's the same account. And if they had profiles, we would know if it was the same person. And depending I, I mean, how they're using each medium, yeah. you may want more information on one and less on yeah. the other. It's sweet. I think yeah. people want more, I guess is what I'm saying. But it's one of the well, And I think we're trying to figure out how much more, right, but it's right? And we don't know that yet. Quantity, we haven't hit that right? yet. Like it's like, like yeah. more of crap, nobody wants that. <laughs> right. And I think that's the thing where it's like really making sure that it's, it's it? quality. And then mm -hmm. also if you're adding more, are you also taken away? And that's a little yeah. bit for us, we, we like to look back and see, are we doing things because we've just always done them? Or are we doing them because it's actually adding to the fan experience in a positive way? Because if it can be replaced by something that's better, but may not have exactly the same attributes, that, that's okay as long as we're still feeding that appetite. Yeah. That's why we're incredibly careful with the main feed. So when people ask how we've innovated on the main feed, besides all the cameras and, and things like that, and hopefully, I would say the best broadcast. Um, <laughs> but we, that's, that's our bar, so that's, we, we, you know, we're never satisfied, and we think we're pretty close, if not there. How can you pick, pick your favorite child? You know, they're all great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but as long as, as long as you're not, that's why everything has to be fan-initiated fan. Like, if someone's, it's, we're, when you offer something in a, a, an ancillary app or a secondary app, that doesn't bother me so much, because you can either go access, the, access that or not. Right. I'm very conscious of when you're watching the game, you're here for the game. So a lot of what we do is we've innovated around the talent, around um, the storytelling. You'll see us do more and more in the broadcast, but the first year, as, as Rainey knows, because she lived through this with us, we just had to knock it out of the park and um, the actual broadcast and not, not ruffle too many feathers around. Right. One thing, when, when we first started to work on next generation, uh, next generation stats, we did that with uh, AWS. And most of our broadcast partners initially were really hesitant because they're like, how do you tell this story? This, we were talking about this earlier, like integrating stats into content is you have to be, you know, how, how you choreograph that it has to be authentic, yeah. has to make sense. And by the way, you have to know you have, and sort of understand it. And, and the folks at AWS, man, they loved it. They loved stats. And so it was really great to partner with them on that. And then, like, what do you do with them? And we do great things with you guys on how to tell the story with stats for the consumer that cares about it. Data, and that's the thing that's so important. Data without story is useless. Yeah. Yep. yeah. It doesn't matter because you can't explain it. You can't do, it, do anything. On camera it. or behind the scenes. Any, anywhere. Um, you know, even to make a business case and get convince someone to make an investment or, or anything like that. But we... Um, you know, when we think about too much, we think about it a little bit different because we're yeah. the live experience. The live experience, right. And so um, sometimes I, uh, you ever walk into a meeting where you're like, oh, if that happens, it'll completely destroy the industry and eliminate my job. I was in a meeting like that the other, <laughs> the other week. So, um, <laughs> okay, I, tell us. An exaggeration as I want to do. But like, I, that was like a thought that went through my mind. And so we were, I was looking at, they were talking about a new technology that basically would be like a VR technology you put on in the arena and it would make your your seat view is good as like the court yeah. side. I said, yeah. the best view, like almost right on the ice. And I said, wow, that's, that's amazing. And if I was selling a ticket to it and it was gated to the arena, great, because now my upper bowl is as good as my best seat, blah, blah, blah. But then I was like, but that's not where it's gonna stop. So my head went to, it's gonna go to the home experience oh, right. and then you don't need to come anymore. Right. Um, and you know, I, there's a lot of people in the industry that have talked about the future of the arena and what size should that arena be. And, you know, it's, is it 15 to 20,000 seats or is it really like three to five? And you could see a universe where if, if that's the universe, maybe you, maybe you don't need to spend 1.5 to $2 billion to build an arena because you can deliver that experience without physically needing to show up. Yeah. And so that's, as a venue operator, like, huh. Um, and, I, and, you know, I would also say that, um, you know, it, it, it makes me, it does make me worry about the future of, of sport as community. Because I think we all know yes. that from our youngest experience, we were talking a little bit about this yesterday, like mm -hmm. our way to unify and connect with the community yeah. often came through the platform of sports. Mm -hmm. And there's something to the live experience that's part of that that makes you more passionate. And will we lose that? And I, you know, I was talking about this with someone uh, you know, a couple weeks ago after we saw the, the, the description of the tech. And 
they're like, oh, that, that'll never happen. Like, live will never go away. And then I talked to my niece and nephew, and I'm not so sure. Yeah. Like, they, yeah. they don't like, like in to... the metaverse. They don't yeah. even go anywhere. They're like, there. Did you see that movie, Don't Worry, worry Darling? It's freaky. No. Yes. And the whole thing, you're like, wait, that's in, like, the virtual space? Are you spoiling like, the end? No. No, no, no. Watch it on the plane. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. let, me, let me just, like... It, uh, it's very dire what you're talking about. So I think what we're seeing. Yeah, I have a positive matter if it's going to yeah, be too positive positive aspect. Is a true bifurcation mm -hmm. of who is going to games. And venues are renovating or building new stadiums. I mean, I think, I mean, it's the, in, from 24 to 27, it's going to be the most money spent ever on new venues. So. The innovation is happening because fans either want luxury from a product perspective or they want to get in the door and see the experience. Mm -hmm. But they want the experience to be simple. They don't want to sit in traffic. They don't want to have, wait in line. And they want to be able to multi-screen watch. So I get, like, I get it. But at the same point, all of this investment in why there's this investment, it's happening in college, it's happening... Um, multiple NFL stadiums, the Bills and the Titans, and, and it's because the experience has to evolve. That's why you made your renovation. So yeah. I'm not suggesting it isn't, but the stadiums are getting smaller, not because there's less demand, because people are watching more than ever before, and there's other ways to engage on social and small snippets. It's because they want a different experience. Yeah, it, absolutely. And the other thing, I, I, we hire you, Val, so don't worry about it. We um, <laughs> in a second, we'll be thrilled to get you. Um, but I, I'd ask you. I mean, when I think of when I think of that, what you described, I think of like how many fans actually see an NFL game live. Oh, very few. Yeah, very few. And then when you look around the globe, how many millions, hundreds right. of millions has, of people who can on. have that, ex, you know, yep. what I want to say, courtside sideline experience. That's unleashing an incredible yeah. opportunity. Just yeah. the streaming broadcaster. Uh, let me say one more stat. <laughs> one more stat that's really, I think, really interesting, though, because where there used to be, or at least we didn't know who the people were before because the secondary yeah. wasn't available to the yeah. team, teams. Uh, today, new fans that are coming to sporting events, 90% of them, the people who are the first time, are coming from the secondary, going to the games. And so it's really upon the teams to say, okay, let me go grab those new fans and convert them into passionate. What we are seeing is the, there's less avid fans because they have multiple yeah. teams that they're favorites of. So, like, we, there is this, here's, the, here's what's happening, how are we adjusting it? And, and I, I am, like, a long-term thinker because I think there's way too much short-term thinking in sports, mm -hmm. like working at a team. It's like, win this year, get my renewals, get my sales, win my sponsorships, okay, then next year. So I try very much to, like, pick my head up and just think, you know, with, with some eye towards towards the future. And, and, I, and I will say the other thing that worries me, as long as we're talking about dire, because I'll keep going down that path, um, <laughs> is like, is, our, is sports becoming to 1%? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if we look at, at the, the yeah. cost of a ticket and the cost of coming to a live event relative to inflation, it's like 2x. Yeah. And we look at the data, and that is a concern, because again, I get back to like, kids and community and what does sports mean to society and there's this argument out there like let's just build a 5,000 seat arena and uber price it and that's the you know yeah I don't know like is that good for America we're talking about America or, or culture or even like, fandom yeah I mean yeah, you're, you're, you're yeah, culture absolutely I'm more focused on just sports fandom and I, I think that's a great question I mean there are studies that how do you create sports fans and at least a few years ago it was it was very dependent on going to a live event or um, no, going to a live event with someone important in your life or competing. And so the tickets are so expensive, it's really hard. And then a lot of sports and schools and things like that are pay to play. We're not doing a good enough job. Don't get me on my soapbox, but about kids in sports, particularly girls in sports. And so- That's also right. where it starts. Yeah. Like yeah. for me, I think about, I grew up in Kentucky and we had just awesome, and this is gonna sound silly, but as a, as a high school kid, like our pep rallies around our football team and our basketball team and that loyalty and that mm -hmm. fandom and just the, the insanity around that where the fandom started. Because there is a bit where, I don't know, and, and maybe this is a data point, where does fandom start? Does it start with the Flyers? Or does it start when you're a kid and you play? Yeah. And we, all, we know that part of it, when my dad was mm -hmm. a fan of this or that moment. I didn't have any professional teams that were 
near us at the time when I was a kid. So I don't. It's like I don't know what that what it's like to have that passion other than for that moment where I grew up as a kid. But you think if that doesn't go away, so we help foster continued youth sports and all things from for girls and boys and basketball and hockey and, and all of those stuff. You hope that it doesn't get to that point, but we are making it tough. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's quite Chase expensive, Chase, right? Chase so. yield, there's no question. And, and I mentioned Sam is here. Sam convinced me by, by through data and through smart strategic advice, like, hey, like we're not raising, we're not raising yield for a few years. And that's uncommon because winning teams raise yield because they can, yeah. they yeah. maximize revenue. And losing teams raise, raise uh, chase yield because yeah. they have to make up the gap because right. they're, you know, renewals and other things are down. And so you really have to have that long-term view when you're thinking about it. But, um, but yeah, it is interesting. It's like, what is it coming Because that's from? where data sometimes, it, it hits the rubber meets the road where like, you can't measure passion, like that gut fire. So in our high school, I grew up at, is there are um, cornfields all around our high school. And there's the town next door, which was Henderson. And they would, when we would beat them, or when they would beat us, they would tell us, start the tractor. Like, it was insulting, because we were all <laughs> farmers. And like, like as, as I think about that burn and that passion mm -hmm. to beat those guys, that's something you can't necessarily measure, and that fire. And so that's where it's like those of us is, that have the privilege to work in sports. Yeah. And, and I know this is a data conference, so it's all great, but that's something that none of us can ever lose. And you want to make sure that you can't, you don't lose it because of the data. Because what's the data tell you? Because I have seen Eagle fans, and that <laughs> stuff's insane, right? And that's something that you can't measure, but you can take advantage of it and use the data of how do you take that, right? You so can yeah, measure it. It's an, it's an app. Of, I, well, then, of course, well, everything's Jess, measurable. Jess can measure it. There you go. Right? It's like Minority right. Report of, of Deep Soul. That's, I think, what did you oh say God. when you won? Well, to, to the colonels? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. We probably swear. We yeah. probably were cursed. You can't repeat it. It's hard yeah. to say. All right. No, Cursing. you don't need to answer. Yeah. So we're, we're under 10 minutes at this point. Can you believe it? Time flies um, when you get everybody talking here. But I think what you're, you're um, getting to, Rini, and, and Val, you're questioning, like, where is this really going? This does come back to an experience. That passion is coming because you felt something. Right at some point, yeah, we can ultimately measure that. But imagine we're kind of raising this next generation that may or may not get to have that feeling in a venue right. or believe that being a sports fan is something different through this only or, you know, friends and, and three, four, five steps removed through social. Who knows? And we're all working on that. We're working on that. You're working on that. I think as you continue kind of on this journey and balancing um, or maybe just considering the whole spectrum, we're going to have to do both, right? It's not an in-venue yeah. experience and an online or streaming experience. It's both. And figuring out where one stops and the other one picks up, I think, Rini, you talked about it before, too, just seamless. And as you show up as a brand and, you know, the fans are having that experience, it's seamless. What else do we need to be asking, Jess, to get to that seamless experience? So you're seeing all the data. What else do we need to be looking for to get to that? I mean, the, the properties, they have the, this information about what their fans are doing. And the information that the brands want yep. is the, it, the, they want more information about the fans than the teams and leagues, frankly, are collecting. They want to know not only your demographics, they want the psychographic, they want the survey information so they can say, okay, if I target and sponsors what you do and, and associate with you, am I going to meet, reach my customers and drive my business? Yeah. And today, that connective tissue, maybe it was covered in partnerships, but that, that connective tissue of the fan at the property, it's kind of a guess today. It's kind of a guess. I'm going to sponsor this team or this league, and I hope it drives the business. Where we, where we will wow. come, it's well, okay, so much yes. of a guess. But, it, but I think to actually on a one-to-one -one basis to say, here's the, here's the fan, mm -hmm. and we can target them, and we can say how, how much or to what degree they then became and were spending with you. That, yeah. My life story is a representation of what Rini said about yeah. data and experience emotion like I'm on this stage because as a little girl I used to collect baseball cards pre-content and I would look at the front when I started I used to look at the pictures and I would look at all the different guys and 
And then at some point, I, I liked math, and I turned the cords over, and I started to think about the, about the data. And I was interested in sports. And so my mom and dad, but, I, but it was, again, like I'm looking at cords in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, data, piece of it. Then my parents, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. suburbs. Um, we didn't have baseball it, there at that time. Took me up to Baltimore um, to see a game at Memorial Stadium. And we were late because my parents were often late. And it was, you know, it's far. So we're, we came, we were rushing in, and the game was already underway. I believe it was Memorial Day weekend. We came out of the VOM, the vomitory, into the stadium. And at that moment, I sort of got like a movie. Reggie Jackson had hit a home run, and the ball was going over the fence. I'm this little kid, and I'm watching it. And in my head, I was like, this is it. This, yep. is the, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't know how I'm going to figure out. It stayed with me, carrying me all the way to the stage. And it's both. It's both. It's yeah. both. Thanks. There you go. It's a case study. It is <laughs> a case study. Well, I think, honestly, your description of it and what you're talking about, that's what we have to find, is where are those moments, to Rini's point, like, where does fandom start? We're not sure. You're saying that you just described your exact point. Now we have to figure out if we can measure it then how do we kind of track back if the genesis is different? Well, the, what does that translate into? And then to Jess's point, for brands, yeah. like if a brand is selling soft drinks, they want to sell more soft drinks because of that fandom or tires. 100%. Like all of a sudden now, if you are a tire retailer, you're like going to go spend money in order to sell more tires because you believe that fandom, yep. how avid it is, if it's avid, will sell those tires. Because yeah. you help give them right? that experience. Right, it's sort of, yeah. and it's an interesting, that's frankly how all of our businesses are, yeah. you know. Well, and you funded. want people to feel a particular way about your brand because you're associated with Amazon, with um, the NFL, well, with the Flyers. I mean, ultimately, all of us became fans in some form or fashion because of the story and the connection that we saw. And, you know, for me, I was growing up outside of Chicago and, you know, heyday of, of Michael Jordan. Yeah. And it was a and I was like, how is this guy able to perform so well under pressure? Mm -hmm. And it became just a fascination for me that, you know, so I think like, what is the connection? What is the connectivity that's going to? Yeah. And I think for every person, it's going to be different. But what I what I think is so inspiring or amazing is that there's so many different ways that all all parts of our society can now touch sports. And so, yes, you're right, not that many people get to go to sporting events. I went to two in my childhood. Now I work in sports, I've gone to a lot more. <laughs> um, but, I think, but I think the concept of more accessibility is something that I'm personally incredibly excited about for fans. Yeah, and I don't see it as competing, the live events versus the VR, AR, we're, we're streaming. I think it's incumbent on all of us to make them the best, you know, the best events. I think in streaming, we're trying to create community. You know, you can create great community online. It's a way to connect with people. We want people to be able to feel the passion when they're watching in a streaming event. And so what can we do? We even did this a few years ago in our Premier League coverage. We had all um, audio streams, and one of them was just the live, um, live sounds of the stadium which, you know, you'd have to hear, there'd probably be some cursing and stuff, but at least in the UK, they're singing songs, and it's some with curses, mm -hmm. um, but incredible passion, and we found, we didn't even promote it, and a bunch of fans found it and really enjoyed it. So I think there's some combination. I don't necessarily yeah. see competition between the different ways to access fan, to access sport and that passion, but I think it's incumbent on all of us to work on every stage of that fandom and every presentation yeah. of that compliment. game and the event. Got a compliment. Exactly. You're even yeah. simulating my smells and sounds now? I'm just, I'm doomed. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to have any control over no, anything. No, it's all right. It'll be like long, long after my time. <laughs> so we are about to wrap. There were lots of questions from the audience. I've been reading them as we go, other than a couple pretty specific ones. I think everybody covered most of these territories. But with the last minute, anything, what's next? What's next? What do you think the next big thing's going to be, or the next big unlock in data? Anything you feel that's kind of up the sleeve that we're not talking about? I don't know if it's an unlock in data, but I just think you're going to be um, blown away by how many people move to streaming. I mean, when we, you know, people in this audience know it's, it's so hard to get a million people to do the same thing at the same time. The fact we were able to get over 10 million a week yeah. Um, it was 
amazing and will only continue. And that's with folks, that was our first year. And so especially with living room devices, so much of our use is in the living room. You're going to get the silver streamers. You're going to get all these other. It's just, I just think people are going to be overwhelmed by the online usage as, as the events go there. I just think it's a huge unlock and we, we've seen it this past year. Yeah, I would only add that, just again, the international unlock, I think, is for us is a huge opportunity. I'm excited about that. That's fantastic. Whatever it is, it'll come through this conference and you'll hear about it, so keep coming. That's right, back. right? I think the depth of data um, that is being shared with the properties in terms of like, so like when someone buys a ticket or is unable to buy a ticket, what do they do next? Yeah. So do they go to a different game? Are they then going to try and buy a ticket on the secondary? Are they then gambling? I think there's so much more connectivity and insights that we're just starting to scratch the surface on. And that's what I'm really most excited about. That's awesome. Well, thank you, thank ladies. Thank you, guys. Jess, thank Val, Rini, Marie. Thank you, everybody.